sounds like a story to me Some crazy fable that you would not believe Welcome to the Avram Davidson universe, where we listen to some of the greatest stories ever written. Adored by Ursula Le Guin, Neil Gaiman, Leonard Nimoy, Ray Bradbury, and Stephen King. Enjoy classic tales such as Are All the Seas with Oysters, The Golem, Sources of the Nile, and many others. Erica, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank God. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, I guess first off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Erica Satifka. I've been writing, uh, well, publishing since uh, 2007 um, with frequent breaks, um, but uh, I've published a novel, a uh, novella, and most importantly, a short story collection um, called How to Get to Apocalypse and Other Disasters, uh, yeah. which uh, wound up being a pretty big for a small press success um, and won the Endeavor Award recently, um, the 2021 Endeavor Award, but it was only awarded recently because of COVID-related things. But um, and uh, uh, I write pretty much mostly short stories. Um, that's mostly been my focus the entire time I've been writing. And uh, published about I get the exact number, but it's over 45 stories. Um, half of about half of which are in my collection. And um, and yeah, and and. Uh, and you know what? One of the things that brought you to me and, and me here is that uh, it. And when I was uh, when the Endeavor Award, they uh, compared my stories to Avram Davidson. And uh, at the time, I had not really read you know any of his stuff. I have read it now, but um, uh, so uh, and I there are some similarities. But you know, yeah, it's pretty much uh, you know is, is I am a short story writer first and foremost. Well, thank you. And, and and what just what got you started? I mean, I'm background wise. Tell us well, that. Been writing, you know, pretty much since uh, high school. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, um, you know, pretty much since I was a kid. Really, um, a lot of uh, uh, you know, science fiction, fantasy ish stuff. Uh, never got into fan fiction, but I wrote wrote a lot of like you know books that went didn't go past the third. Uh, chapter, you know, short stories that, you know, probably better left unsaid. Um, and then when I get to college, I, you know, studied uh, English mostly because that way I could just write things and, uh, you know, that, that could be my work class assignment. So, uh, and so I, you know, and then I started publishing. Um, I, I didn't really set out to have a career in writing, but I just kind of learned the concept of getting uh, paid for your work. So I started sending out stories and some of them got published. And so it just kind of, it just kind of fell into it a little bit. Yeah. And, and going back to the Endeavor Award, that, that is absolutely how I found you when some, someone says, compares you to Lafferty and Auburn Davidson. What I'm curious, I know, you, I know Auburn is new to you, but uh, in what you've read so far, where do you see the comparisons? What's I'd, I'd be curious your own take. I, and I'll, I'll talk about some things I've read so far, but your your own take so far on that. So I, I'd say you know the one of the similarities is that uh, it felt you know you know the, I know that Avram did publish some novels, but he is mostly a short story writer. And in the stories I've read, I'm about halfway through his compendium of stories. 
is that um, uh, he was very much, he did not see the short stories as kind of a, you know, continuation to novels or a, like a smaller piece of something else. They're very well constructed, very like the, the stories themselves just kind of all have, you know, like they're all kind of, I don't, I don't know how to put this, but they have like their own, you know, own internal universe that completely works. Uh, and you don't see that a lot with short stories. Like it's, it's, you know, rare. I kind of hope that my short stories come up, 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 that well, but uh, that you know, it, it, it's very clear that uh, each of the stories is, you know, has the like amount of care put into it that you would put into a novel. It's not doesn't just feel like a chunk of something larger or something. It feels very much like, you know, the story, uh, you know, uh, is its own self-contained thing. Another thing is that it kind of feels like, uh, and again, another thing I do, I do a lot with my stories. A lot of my stories come up of. Uh, like Wikipedia binges or finding out a cool piece of information. A lot of them seem to be based around like a really cool thing in history or a really cool thing in, in myth. Like it feels like a lot of the stories just came up, you know, oh, what it wouldn't it be cool if this one thing was like true? And then the story is kind of based around that. Um, and and uh, I, I kind of feel like if Wikipedia had existed, um, Avram would have been very much into Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No question about it. So, so going back to some of some of your stories, I read Loving Grace, which I loved it. And I'll make sure when when I post uh, this podcast, I'll make sure to have a link to that story because I really think people should read it. And uh, it, it's an incredible story, uh, without obviously giving away too much of the the details because I I want people to get the full enjoyment out of it. There were a couple of things that I found interesting number one it's super creepy uh i have to say that ahead of time i'm still <laughs> ooh, and it's very relevant to today i think probably more it almost feels more relevant to today than it did when you wrote it i think it's 15 maybe 17 uh 2015 uh, yeah 2015 so i almost feel like it's even more relevant to what's going on today uh but a, but a cup the the ending very much reminded me of many of Avram's endings in the sense that you don't always, there's debate potentially, there's discussions to be had, not all the answers are necessarily given. And I don't know if that's purposeful, uh, but that was something I noticed is I feel like I could sit with 10 other people in a room and have a discussion about your story. And we might all have little differences or opinions or arguments about it. Is that, can you talk oh, about that? That, that was definitely on purpose. I, I do not like to have definite endings. I do not like to have I, my stories wound up with a bow and wound up with like, oh, um, you know, this, this, this is just, you know, this is how the story ends. I, I kind of like there to be a little bit of open-endedness in, in, you know, and not all, all stories, but a lot of, a lot of them. And that was one where I definitely wanted to, to kind of hang there. Um, that story actually came from the idea that uh, even though, so um, I don't know if you've ever seen a, um, a map of productivity versus how much. So basically sometime in the 1970s, uh, American productivity skyrocketed, but real, real wages didn't change. The amount of time that people are working hasn't changed. If anything has gone up, we have all of this tech that is supposed to make our lives easier. Give us like the whole Jetsons idea that you're working two hours a day and you get to spend the rest of the time doing art or doing, you know, science or, 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 or basically trying to make the world better, but we stagnated. 
And so I kind of came up with the idea in the story that, you know, what if like we did let people not work and have, you know, give them a, a, a universal basic income, but then we also at the same time force them to still suffer another way. Because basically, you know, we can't have progress and we can't have, you know, uh, uh, skyrocketing productivity without somebody suffering. So it's basically the idea of like, you know, this forced suffering, this forced employment draft that kills people or at least, you know, changes them into something else. Uh, and then the, um, the story actually, the, re- the re- um, so the story is wrapped up uh, with a couple different fables that I made up. Um, the original name of the story was uh, Fables of Late Capitalism, but I changed it based on the, um, uh, the poem, uh, All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace, which, uh, you know, plays in the ending. I don't want to give away the ending, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, ba- basically it, it's, it's kind of my take on, you know, well, we have capitalism, we have, you know, science, we have all this. So why does everything still kind of suck? <laughs> and it's on purpose. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I, I, I loved it. And I will say one other thing that really struck me, and I don't know why. First of all, I felt like it was in Portland. I don't, I don't know if that was accurate or not, but I felt like it could have been in Portland. Uh, and then another thing that just struck me was when he goes to the coffee shop and he has a cup of coffee. It's not just a cup of coffee, but it's awful coffee. <laughs> I don't know, kid. I thought that was I thought that was really funny. But any any thoughts on is it is it meant to be Portland or not necessarily? I don't think I, didn't, I don't think like it was explicitly said in Portland, but I did write that one shortly after I moved to Portland because I moved to Portland in 2014. Uh, so and that one was written. That was actually um, I think published by the first place that I sent it because it's in Clark's world and Clark's world tends to be where I send my stories first. Um, so. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was thinking Portland because they do go to the beach and it's not that far away. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas in, we were simply, if I was still writing this from a Pittsburgh perspective, you know, the beach is a lot farther away. So, Right. And there are probably not as many coffee shops, but I'm sure there are now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so getting into Avram, you've had a chance to, to start reading him. Any, any thoughts so far? Any favorites so far? Actually, last night, because I've been, you know, going through slowly, I don't want to, you know, burn the whole collection at once, but I just read uh, The House the Blakeney's Built, and that one was creepy as hell. That one was, <laughs> I don't know if you want to go into what it's about, but it it really, like, wow, that one just, that, that one really, like, surprised me, uh, the, the ending of it and the way that the people on the, the planet, you know, talked and everything. Yeah. That that one was just amazing. Um and I also really like that. Uh, and now we sleep. One yeah, of the now earlier I- stories in the collection that you know is really again just. I, I love the fact that a lot of his stories are downers without like necessarily being like horror or, or dark. Or, like, they're they're dark, but they are are written in such a way that they're like almost like happy dark, which <laughs> is you know something I'm, I try to I try to do a little bit. Um, where, you know, I, I, you know, I write a lot of pessimistic things, but not written in a pessimistic style, if that makes any sense. Um, the story that we're going over today, Naples, really hit me. Like that, that one just, I, I think I've read it like a, a bunch of times. And I was trying to figure out how that story works because the way it's constructed is just so, I think, ingenious and, <laughs> and really well done. Um, yeah, I, I've liked 
pretty much everyone. Dagon was another really good one. So I can just name stories I, I've read so far. But um, but yeah, I, I, I've really been enjoying them. And, and he definitely deserves to have a you know larger audience. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And, and I, I think this is a perfect time to segue and listen, listen to Naples. What do you think? Yeah. Let's All right. On. Naples. It is a curious thing, the reason of it being not certainly known to me, though I conjecture it might have been poverty, why, when all the other monarchs of Europe were still building palaces in marble and granite, the kings of that anomalous and ill-fated kingdom called Old Naples and the Two Sicilies chose to build theirs in red brick. However, choose it they did. These last of the Italian Bourbons have long since lost their last thrones. No castrato singers sing for them from behind screens to lighten their well-deserved melancholy any more. And their descendants now earn their livings in such occupations as gentlemen sales clerks in fashionable jewelry stores, and not perhaps entirely removed from all memory of the glory that once, such as it was, was theirs. But the red brick palazzi are still there. They still line a part of the waterfront of Naples, and some of them at least are still doing duty as seats of governance. Elsewhere, for reasons equally a mystery to me, unless there is indeed some connection between red bricks and poverty, buildings in the same style and of the same material usually indicate that within them the little sisters of the poor or some similar religious group perform their selfless duties on behalf of the sick, the aged, and the otherwise bereft and afflicted, and which is the nobler function and who's the greater reward are questions that will not long detain us. Some twenty years ago or so, a man, neither young nor old, nor ugly nor comely, neither obviously rich nor equally poor, made his way from the docks past the red brick palazzi and into the lower town of ancient and teeming Naples. He observed incuriously that the streets, instead of swarming with the short and swarthy, as foreign legend implies, swarmed instead with the tall and pale but the expectations of tradition were served in other ways, by multitudes of donkey carts, by women dressed and draped in black, by many, many beggars, and by other signs of deep and evident poverty. Almost at once, a young man approached him with a murmured offer of service. The young man clutched the upturned collar of his jacket round about his throat, and as the day was not even cool, let alone cold, it might have been assumed that the reason for the young man's gesture was that he probably did not wish to reveal the absence of a shirt. It was not altogether certain that the young man had no shirt at all. Probably he had a shirt, and probably this was its day to be washed, and probably it was even now hanging from a line stretched across an alley where the sun did not enter in sufficient strength to dry it quickly. There were many such alleys and many such lines, and it is to be feared many such shirts. There were also many such men, not all of them young, and if a count had been made, it might have been found that there were not enough shirts to go around. Naples. The traveler continued, with frequent pauses and considerings, to make his way slowly from the port area 
and slowly up the steep hill. Now and then he frowned slightly, and now and then he slightly smiled. Long ago, some humble hero or heroine discovered that if the hard wheat of the peninsula, subject to mold and rust and rot if stored in the ear, but ground into flour and mixed with water into a paste and extruded under pressure in the form of long strips and dried, it would never rot at all and would keep as near forever as the hunger of the people would allow it. And when boiled, it formed a food nutritious as bread and far more durable. And when combined with such elements as oil or tomato or meat or cheese, and perhaps the leaves of the bay and the basil, be good food indeed. However, the passage of time failed to bring these added ingredients within the means and reach of all, so to vary in some measure at least the monotony of the plain pasta, it was made in the widest conceivable variety of shapes, thin strips and thick strips, ribbons broad and narrow, hollow tubes long and hollow tubes bent like elbows, bows and shells and stars and wheels and rosettes and what have you. And if you have nothing, it is anyway some relief to eat your plain pasta in a different design, when you have, of course, pasta to eat. At least every other doorway in the narrow streets and the narrower alleys kept a shop, and many of the shops sold pasta. For the further sake of variety, the pasta was not merely stacked up in packages. It was also, the straight kinds, splayed about as though the stalks held flowers at their upper ends. And when the traveler saw these, he faintly smiled. The young man who paced him step for step also looked at these modest displays, but he never smiled at them. In fact, although he continued his soft murmurs, he never smiled at all. Most of these ways seemed hardly wide enough for outside the displays, but such there were. There were second-hand clothes, and fewer by far displays of some few new clothes. There were whole cheeses, although none hereabouts were seen to buy them whole, and perhaps not very many often bought them by the slice or crumbling piece. And there were small fish, alive, alive, oh, and larger fish in dim slabs that had not been alive in a long time, dry and hard and strong-smelling and salty, redolent of distant and storm-tossed seas. Tomatoes and peppers lay about in baskets. Oil was poured in careful drops into tiny bottles. There were also olives in many colors. Pictures of saints were sold, and the same shops sold too odd little emblematic images in coral and silver, and this was surely strange in such a scene of poverty, even gold. Behind the narrow windows of narrow shops, crosses too, yes, and beads, the universal signia of that religion. But what were these horns? What were these tiny hands, Fingers tucked into a fist with the thumb protruding between fist and second finger. Best not to ask. You would empty the street in a trice. Everybody in Naples knows. No one in Naples would speak of it above a whisper. To a stranger, not at all. Speak not the word, lest it come to pass. 
Look not over long at anyone in these streets, particularly not at the children they produce in such numbers of abundance. Who knows if your eye be not evil? The eye of the traveler passed over the swarming and ragged bambini without stopping, and in the same manner he glanced at the scrannel cats and the charcoal braziers fanned by the toiling housewives. When one's home is but one room, one may well prefer the street as a kitchen. When one has that which to cook, and fuel with which to cook it. At length the passageway widened into a sort of a piazza. At one end was a church. On either side were the blank walls of some palazzo a good deal more antique than the brick ones down below, perhaps from the days of Spanish viceroys, perhaps from the days of King Robert. Who knows? There were anyway no more shops, no stalls, no wide-open-to-the-street, one-room houses, and for once no masses of people, no beggars even. There was even a sort of alley that seemingly went nowhere and that surprisingly held no one. And the traveler, who had so far only from time to time looked out from the corners of his eyes at the young man cleaving close to him as a shadow does, and who had made no reply at all to the soft murmurs with which the young man, ever clutching his jacket round about his naked throat, continually offered his services as guide, now, for the first time, the traveler stopped, gave a direct look fleeting swift, jerked his head toward the tiny passageway, and stepped inside. The shirtless one's head went up, and he looked at the heavens. His head went down, and he looked at the filthy worn stones beneath. His shoulders moved in something too slight for a shrug, and his unclothed throat uttered something too soft for a sigh. He followed. The traveler turned, without looking into the other's eyes, whispered a few short words into the other's ears. The face of the young man, which had been stiff, expressionless, now went limp. Surprise showed most briefly. His brows moved once or twice. But yes, he said. Surely, he said. And he said with a half-bow and a small movement of his arm, I pray follow. Very near, he said. Neither one paused at the church, and now the streets became, all of them, alleys. The alleys became mere slits. The shops grew infrequent, their store ever more meager. The lines of clothes dripping and drying overhead seemed to bear little relation to what human beings wore, what actually dangled and flapped in the occasional gusts of flat, warm, and stinking air may once have been clothing— might once more, with infinite diligence and infinite skill, with scissors and needle and thread, be reconstituted into clothing once again. But for the present, one must either deny the rags that name, or else assume that behind the walls, the scabby walls, peeling walls, broken walls, filthy, damp, and dripping icarus walls, there dwelled some race of goblins whose limbs required garb of different drape. The traveler began to lag somewhat behind. How often now, how carefully, almost how fearfully, the young man-guide turned his head to make sure the other was still with him, had not stepped upon some ancient, obscenely greasy flagstone fixed upon a pivot, and gone silently screaming down into God knows what, had not been slip-noosed, perhaps, 
as some giant hair hoisted swiftly up above the flapping rags. Rags? Signal flags? What strange fleet might have its brass-bound spyglasses focused hither? Or perhaps it was fear and caution, lest the other's fear and caution might simply cause him to turn and flee, in which case the young man-guide would flee after him, though from no greater fear than loss of the fee. When one has no shirt, what greater fear? Turned and into a courtyard entered through a worm-eaten door whose worms had last dined centuries ago, perhaps, and left the rest of the wood as inedible. A courtyard as dim, as dank, as the antechamber to an Etruscan hell. Courtyard as it might be the outer lobby of some tumulus, some tomb, not yet quite filled, although long awaiting its last occupant. Shadow. Stench. The tatters hung up here could never be clothing again, should they in this foul damp ever indeed dry. At best they might serve to mop some ugly doorstep, did anyone within the yard have yet pride enough for such. And yet, if not, why were they hanging, wet from washing? Perhaps some last unstifled gesture of respectability? Who knows? Naples. Around a corner in the courtyard a door, and through the door a passageway, and at the end of that a flight of stairs, and at the end of the flight of stairs a doorway that no longer framed a door. A thing, something that was less than a blanket, was hung. The young man paused and rapped and murmured. Something made a sound within. Something dragged itself across the floor within. Something seemed simultaneously to pull the hanging aside and to wrap itself behind the hanging. At the opposite side to the door, a man sat upon a bed. The man would seemingly have been the better for having been in the bed and not merely on it. On the cracked and riven and flaking sodden walls, some pictures cut from magazines. Two American presidents, two popes, and one Russian leader and two saints, comparisons are odious, of those whose likenesses were on that filthy, fearful wall, it might be said they had in common, anyway, that all were dead. Good day, the young man-guide said. Good day, the man on the bed said. After a moment, he might, though, have been excused for not having said it at all. This gentleman is a foreigner. The man on the bed said nothing. His sunken eyes merely looked. And he would like... Um, ah, he would like to buy... But I have nothing to sell. How dry, how faint his voice. Some little something, some certain article, an item... But nothing. I have nothing. We have nothing here. His hand made a brief gesture, fell still. A very small degree of impatience seemed to come over the face of the older visitor. The younger visitor, observing this, as he observed everything, took another step closer to the bed. The gentleman is a foreigner, he repeated, as one who speaks to a rather stupid child. The man on the bed looked around. His stooped shoulders, all dirty bones, shrugged, stooped more. He may be a foreigner twice over, 
And what is it to me, he said, low-voiced, seemingly indifferent. He is a foreigner. He has, fool, son of a jackal, son of a strumpet, he has money. The young man turned abruptly to the traveler, said, show him. The traveler hesitated, looked all about. His mouth moved. So too his nose. His hands, too. You will have to show, you know. Can you pay without showing? The traveler suddenly took a wallet from an inner pocket of his coat, abruptly opened it, and abruptly thrust it in again, placed his back not quite against the noisome wall, crossed his arms over his chest. Slowly, slowly, the man on the bed slid his feet to the floor. Wait outside, he said. Halfway down, he added. On the half-landing they waited, listened, heard. Dragging, dragging footsteps. A voice they had not heard before. No, no! A voice as it might be from behind the curtain or the blanket or the what was it in place of the door. The faint sounds of some faint and grisly struggle. Voices, but no further words. Gasps only. Something began to wail in a horrid, broken voice. Then, outside the doorframe at the head of the stairs, the man, tottering against the wall, extending toward them his hands together, as though enclosing something within. Be quick, he said, panting. And all the while the dreadful wail went on from behind him. The young man sprang up the stairs, his left hand reaching forward. Behind his back his right hand formed a fist with its thumb thrust out between first and second fingers. Then both his hands swept up, and met both of the hands of the other. The young man, face twisted, twisting, darted down the steps to the half-landing. The money! Again hands met. The traveler thrust his deep into his bosom, kept one there, withdrew the other, withdrew his wallet, fumbled. Not here, not here, you know, the young man warned. The police, you know. One look the older man flung about him. Oh, no, oh, God, not here, he said. On the ship. The young man nodded, roughly divided the money, tossed half of it up and behind without looking back. He did not come close to the older man as they hurried down the stairs. Above the wailing ceased. That other voice spoke, in a manner not to be described, voice-changing register on every other word almost. Curse the day my daughter's daughter gave you birth. May you burn, son of a strega and son of a strumpet. Burn one hundred thousand years in purgatory without remission. The voice broke, cracked wordlessly a moment, resumed. One dozen times I have been ready to die. And you, witches, bastard, you have stolen my death away, and you have sold my death to strangers. May you burst, may you burn. Again the voice broke, again began to wail. The two men reached the bottom of the stained stairs and parted, the younger one outdistancing the other, and this time never looking back. Above, faintly, in a tone very surprised, the man who had been on the bed spoke. Die? 
Why should you die when I must eat? Naples. So, what'd you think? That story is really... So, when I first read it, I... I you know, now, now, now everyone's hopefully listened to the story. Um, I was like, because it starts out slow, you know, it starts out pretty slow and it starts out with descriptions of the, of the, of the, of the city and kind of leads you into the, like this false sense of security almost. But then <laughs> things start getting weird because the, 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 the shops go away, the, you know, the, the, the streets get narrower, the, the clothes turn from like clothes into rags. And just there's this sense that like you don't even know like quite when like the penny dropped almost because like one second it feels like Avram's describing how pasta is made and, and and you know the various kings and all this and then all of a sudden you're in like a place where goblins live and mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really cool like it's the way that you know it almost like it, it it definitely like you know lulls you into a false sense of security almost the story and then you get to the end which uh, you know. You're, you're, you're in this like area and you still don't see like, you know, like, like how is everything coming together? Like, you know, what, and, and then, you know, the, the scene with uh, the, the money exchange and the, you know, and, and the, and just the, and the way that they, um, that one, the hand movement that, you know, you, you, that he teases earlier in the story. So early in the story where he teases the, like, you know, the, the hand, the fist thing, and then, Later on, I wasn't sure quite if that was a reference to a specific thing mm-hmm. or if that was made up. But um, that was what I, I was. I was wondering the same thing: whether these were something common in shops, or or we now transition to we're starting to transition to creepy, kind of mm-hmm. kind of like what you said. Keep going. Sorry. Oh no. Um, yeah, and so it kind of the whole way it lulls you in and even up until the very end, the last two pages where the money exchange happens and then the, whatever happens in, in the upstairs between the man who is speaking and the, and the unseen victim. Uh, and, you know, I actually went online after I finished it to try to like, what is with the ending? Cause I have my ideas about what the ending implies but I couldn't really see anything from Auburn himself about it, or there's very little discussion, which is surprising considering the story did win the World Fantasy Award, uh, yep. that there's not more discussion. But uh, I mean, I have my you know, suspicion about what happened, but um, you know, I uh, with the you know the death um, angle, um, but uh, I don't know, do you know do you know specifically what the ending is, or is it meant to be like a, my interpretation thing? No, I, that's, I think that's it. I don't know. I mean, I had two questions, you know, exactly what, you know, what exactly happened? <laughs> what's going on back there? And also, uh, why is the tourist or foreigner buying this person's debt? And what's he going to do with it? So my theory was, um, considering that there were the, the pictures of the U.S. presidents and the popes uh, uh, and the Russian leader, there were all these people tacked up on the walls. I had the idea, um, basically, by my third read through or such, where this was kind of a hitman situation, that mm-hmm. the person is buying the death in order to inflict it upon somebody else, and that those are pictures of people for whom this has happened, like... Basically, if, assuming one is Kennedy, that somebody bought the bought Kennedy's death from this victim and then 
inflicted upon Kennedy somehow, um, you know, basically through the emotions or through, you know, magic somehow. Um, so that's kind of what I thought was going on. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but that's kind of what the context clues led me to. But there could be other interpretations, like, and it leaves it so open ended, which is one of the things I really loved about the story. It doesn't say this is what is happening. This is right, this right. Ha-, you know, I and I love the fact that the story made me work for that ending. Like, I had to actually think, how did this? What was this about? Like, why did it? Why did this? Like you know, hit me so hard. And it's like, well, this, this is what I'm thinking it's about. But, you know, I would, I would be, you know, I can think of other interpretations too, which is something I really, you know, enjoyed about the story. That's incredible. I'll, I'll have to set you up with maybe, I don't know if any of these names ring a bell, but Henry Wessels or Greg Feely and see if they have any theories on the ending. And I imagine, I imagine Auburn at some point talked to someone about the ending. Uh, but again, he may have left it ambiguous on purpose to absolutely mess with our minds in the same way that or all the seas with oysters which i don't know if you've read mm-hmm. sort of plays with your mind where you're just <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> is this all real is this not real uh but yeah i i think you might be right uh it's it's a pretty remarkable story any any other thoughts on the story i mean i the the that pasta see, is hilarious mm-hmm. I and mean, he just goes on and on and on and, and which is, is, again like i think that's part of like you know that it leads you into a false sense of you know kind of like oh this is just going to be a, you know a, like this story that's you know sending you on this like journey to naples and then it hits you with like all this other stuff so and and i get that who do you think the person was on the other side of the wall on the other side of the bedroom. And who do you think the person was who was torturing, I think it was a her, torturing her? W- any thoughts on that? For some reason, I, I picture as the man being tortured. Um, but okay. uh, again, you know, it could could probably go. Uh, I, I, I imagine there was somebody who, um, you know, maybe had death stolen from them in some sort of ritual, some sort of uh, magic. Uh, I, I did notice there's also a lot of, uh, you know, emphasis on the religious token, like, the, you know, basically at the point where, you know, there was the one part in the story where they you know, do mention the fist thing, but they also mentioned there being crosses and such. So maybe some sort of black magic involving some kind of undead ritual and that maybe that person, you know, not like you know, vampire is probably like not the word, but the, the idea that like this person is undead or a zombie and just keeps getting getting their stolen from them. So yeah, I I imagine that it was kind of maybe somebody who was as ripped and as torn as the, as the, uh, as the clothing that we saw on the, uh, on, on the, uh, on the clotheslines earlier. Wow. Uh, Any, any other parts of the story that, that struck you or just any other thoughts on the story in particular? Um, just that it was really, really good. And, and you know, I, uh, you know, again, the, the, you know, it, there was so much uh, the, of this, this quiet horror that wound up being like, you know, just this quick descent into like the underworld stuff that I thought was really cool. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, they, you know, he, he, he you know, the, the pasta thing, the, the religious icon thing, like just the, the note, like a little notice of details that 
wound up being important later. Like it's definitely a story that deserves be to be like reread several times. I noticed that with a couple of the stories. There's a few of the stories in the collection, like the one I read last night, where I actually went back and reread the whole thing because it's like it feels like you kind of miss things because the stories yeah. are really packed with detail. Again, I feel yeah. really bad that I did not actually read Avram until I was compared to him. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, like it, it, he's an extremely good writer. Well, I'm, Just, so, I'm, so, I'm so glad. So one of the things I always do on, on, on these episodes is I always talk about adaptation and how I would adapt certain stories into film or television. There's obviously a lot more with this story that would have to be added. <laughs> in order to make a feature film or a or unless a, it was like it done was like a little like Twilight Zone like you know episode. Yeah, but but I always I I guess how would you if you were to add up making an adaptation of this, what would your vision be and choose and then choose one character that you would have and who that actor might be. So for some reason, I was I was hearing Werner Herzog's voice um, as the um, as the guy at the end. Okay. So that that's that's who I would do, and I would actually I actually feel like animation would work well for this because I feel okay. like with animation you could almost you could do the whole like um, you could do different styles of animation to kind of lead you into the like the underworld of the story. So you could start out being very bright and cheery and like, you know, we're walking through Naples. You were doing maybe point of view shots with, with, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the American, uh, you know, main character. And then things could start to get like darker. The animation could start to get very jaggy, could start to get very dark and like maybe a little bit um, uh, uh, monochrome. So, so that's how I, I would do it. I, I would basically do it as as a short animated feature. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I I, I love it. Um, like, I honestly feel like moving it into. I, I feel like you know, again, like because this was definitely very much a short story, short story. Making it a feature film would kind of like because then you'd have to describe like, well, what's happening, or is this easy killing presidents and popes? But if you don't, you know, describe that, then it, it's a much creepier tale. Yeah, interesting. I I wonder. Uh, have you seen Robots? Uh, what's that show on Netflix? It's like Robots, Monsters, and Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen that. Yeah, I wonder, it would really I wonder, work for that. Yeah, I wonder if this could work for something like that. Well, any other thoughts before before I let you go? I mean, you've you've been so wonderful. I I'm so appreciative of your time. But any other thoughts you'd want to share on Avram or, or just anything in general? Just that I am, you know, really enjoying the stories and, um, you know, and, and just the, you know, uh, and it definitely deserves to be much more widely read. Um, and have any of this stuff, has any of this stuff been uh, adapted into short um, features or? Yeah, so, so they have, uh, but a long time ago, mostly as mysteries and Alfred Hitchcock episodes. So they're to Alfred, I'll, I'll, if you go to the website, uh, and I'll send you the links, but for, for others, if you go to AuburnDavidson.com, you'll see TV, radio, film, and at the bottom, you'll see um, there's two Alfred Hitchcock episodes that he had. Uh, there's actually an opera that someone made of one of, um, a symphony, sorry, symphony of one of his uh, stories, Bumberboom. 
based on that. And then there are a couple of short films that that students made. So there's been some done. And I think, you know, the House of Blakeney's built to me would be one that mm-hmm. would be a wow as an example. That would that would that would be really cool. I don't know if you get away with the ending now. Like every, you know, I don't know if it would be too dark, but I, I think it would I, I think you would have to retain the ending on that one. Yeah, that and 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 uh now let us sleep, I think, is also could be a really interesting expanded, expanded universe. But no, there's he's he's definitely had some stuff done and there'd been interest in the past. So we'll see where it goes. I to me, the re and the reason I always talk about it is because I think Avram should be better remembered. I look at someone like Philip K. Dick and he was starting to be forgotten. And up until his adaptation, that's what gained his popularity. So I think through film or uh, television, that's a way to get an author who's sort of faded back into present. And then I think, although times have changed now with so much streaming, it's gotten sort of confusing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Things have been watered down a little, but that's a whole different conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I, mean, I noticed that with the newest season of the Robots um, anthology, the first season was really awesome. And then, like, they started getting a little less, like, it just kind of started, it, it's feel like streaming has not been, a lot of the streaming stuff has not been as good as, you know, it was the, as it was in the past. So, yeah, I think maybe the money is not there anymore. Or... Yeah, they're definitely rushing it, I think. Well, Look, I thank you so much. Come back anytime. If there's another story that you ever want to discuss, uh, let me know. And again, everyone should read Loving Grace. I'll have the the um, link provided. And uh, I can't wait to reach, read the rest of your anthology. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, Welcome. I thank suppose. you. God only knows. Sounds like a story to me Some crazy fable that you would not believe